you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Psalm 100 tonight. Psalm 100. We'll start in verse 1. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. So as we come to this psalm tonight, this is the... uh, the closing of this section that we've been in, Psalm 93 through 100, um, we've mentioned it and we'll continue to mention it until obviously next week, but these are psalms that are focused in on not, um, not asking God for something, not bringing a supplication to the Lord, but they're focused on exalting God, praising God, rejoicing in God uh, just for who He is and for what He has what he has done. Uh, the, the, the beginning of this psalm is uh, puts it in a, in a category similar to Psalm 98, just as far as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 98 was encouraging the cultivation of anticipation or joyful anticipation uh, for what the Lord um, will do at the second coming. Uh, psalm 100 is a little bit different. It's calling us to joy that's not based on future anticipation, but it's based on the present. It's based on what God is currently doing. It's based on what God has done, and it's joy that's based that is uh, uh, brought in worship because of what God is doing here in the present. So, this is you'll see in your Bibles if you have those little subscripts at the top. It's a psalm of praise. Psalm of praise. So, praise is a form of worship. So, we want to. And be reminded that this psalm is is being is calling us to exalt or to magnify the worth of who God is and 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 what it means to be brought into relationship with Him uh, through praise. So we're going to look at four different uh, four different aspects of praise or praise that's motivated by four different realities in this psalm. Um, We're going to see that we're called to praise God with joy, to praise God for who He is, to praise God with thanksgiving, and then to praise God for who He is and uh, what He's like, really is the last one, to praise God for what He's like. So number one, verses one through two, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, Come before his presence with singing. Um, this is praising God with with joy. Make a make a joyful noise is the really the command here. You're being invited in, but you're also being called to worship. As we said with Psalm 98, Isaac Watts wrote the hymn "Joy to the World" based off of that psalm because he. Um, his estimation was that there was a lacking of joy in the worship services, that uh, worship was something that had become 
something less than joyful. And while there are plenty of, of, of doctrinal components to the Christian faith that would, um, that would produce in us conviction and contrition and, and things like that, as we come to God and as we worship God, one of the main tenets that ought to characterize what we do and with what kind of a heart we bring to the Lord is, is joy. Okay? The gospel is not you're such a bad sinner. Right? The gospel is that God saves you in spite of the fact that you're a horrible sinner. Okay, so conviction was never supposed to, and we've talked about this before, but conviction and those sorts of things were never supposed to leave you down in the dumps as far as the worship service being all about how bad you are. Okay, you don't need scripture to know that. You can just open your eyes. Okay, Of course we live in a world that's fallen and a world that is tainted by sin. And while the Spirit brings conviction and gives us eyes to see of how that permeates us in ways that we might not be able to see or could not be able to see without that, um, just the insight that things are bad and that you're bad, that's just the starting point. When we come to worship the Lord, we don't come to to exalt that, we come to exalt Him. We come to really, and, and, and here's the word, to celebrate what He's done. Okay? We come to celebrate what God has done that we could have never done for ourselves. And so we're called to come into the presence of the Lord and make a joyful noise to serve Him with gladness, to come into His presence with Singing. So Philippians 4.4 picks up on this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 just says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, this is a... Another indication that joy ought to be a mark of every Christian. Okay. Biblical joy. Now when I say that, I do not mean, when we're talking about joy, I do not mean some sort of a silly, sappy, you know, look on the bright side type of attitude. That's not what I mean. And that's not what Scripture means. You can have joy in sorrow. Okay. Those things are not opposed to one another. Um, inward joy is that which comes from an experiential knowledge of what we've been given in Christ and, both of these need to be in place, and a disciplined meditation on what that means for you today. Okay. Joy is what happens when your present experience your present circumstance intersects with the truth about what God has done for you in Christ. When we're thinking about a Psalm 100 kind of joy. So your sins have been carried away. They've been uh, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Does that have any relevance for today? Yes, it does. The question is, have we taken the time to even try to connect the dots of how that's relevant for today? You have 
an advocate, a mediator, an intercessor, whoever lives to make intercession for you that have any relevance for today at all? Of course it does. But the question is, have we thought about that? I mean, sometimes this seems like, I mean, really, if we just take that one thing, can you believe that right now Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and He has you on His mind as He's talking to the Father. And it's not just you, it's your good as He intercedes on your behalf. Is that true or not true? It blows your mind when you really think about it. Christ would take the time to utter my name to the Father? Yeah, every day. He's constantly interceding. The Holy Spirit is bringing things and interceding for you with, with, with these groans that can't even be uttered. Is that relevant? Yeah, yeah. Make a joyful noise. Well, brothers and sisters, one of the, one of the problems that we have with, um, with this whole idea of joy or the whole business of coming to the Lord joyfully is that joy is something that is cultivated. You can try to manufacture it, but you won't do it long. Okay? It's hard to manufacture. It's obnoxious when you see people manufacturing it. It won't last long, but it can be cultivated. And how is it cultivated? Through discipline. Notice Psalm 34. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Now, what you'll notice about the psalm is that the psalmist here in Psalm 34 is not telling you about what he's doing in the present. He's not telling you about what he did in the past. He's telling you about what he plans to do in the future. Okay, it's I will. I will what? I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. That's intentional. That's intentional. Um, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Again, that's intentional. He's not leaving it up to chance. This is a disciplined approach. My soul is going to make her boast in the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me. This invitation to come in. Well, where's the joy in all of that? Well, joy comes again as we as we um, think about the reality of what God is doing in our life, and we exercise disciplined meditation on what that means. You know, we, can, we can go three, four days between services and, and not think a smidge about what has God provided for me today? What, what, what has He given me today that I wouldn't have had otherwise? What has he prevented that I just barely gave a second thought to and kept on going? 
So if we want joy and if we want to praise the Lord with joy, then we're going to have to think about what the Lord is doing. We have to be intentional about that. Um, and so when we're thinking about the psalm and as it's laid out together, really this is a psalm that is meant for corporate worship as we come together. It's obviously individuals coming together, but it's, it's a corporate psalm. And it's a call for us to express our joy-filled praise to God through song. We talked, I don't know, several weeks ago now about how the reason we have a portion of our service that's dedicated to singing to the Lord is because that's what the Lord wants. We're commanded to sing. If we want to know how to bring acceptable praise to the Lord, then we, we bring what He's told us to do. And in God's form of worship, singing is a high priority. Sometimes folks say, well, you know, I just can't sing. Well, it doesn't matter. You're not commanded to sing a solo. You're not commanded to be in the spotlight, but you are commanded to sing praise. And the emphasis is on the praise, not on your singing voice. And so we're called in Psalm 100 to express this joy-filled praise about what God has done for us through song. Now again, it doesn't mean that we can't sing a, a minor tune or it doesn't mean that we can't sing songs of contrition, but it does mean that as a whole, our worship service should be, when I say worship service, the singing portion of our worship service. Uh, we mentioned this already, but it should not lead us to grovel and wallow in our sin nature but it should lead us to rejoice, to celebrate, to praise God for who He is, for what He's done, and for what He is doing in Christ Jesus. And we're talking about emphasis here. Okay? So obviously, I do believe we have a sin nature. But when we come to celebrate God and what He's done, it makes no sense for us to put all the emphasis there. Okay? That gets us to where we're going. But that's not where we stop. So praise God with joy. Praise Him with joy. Secondly, praise God for who He is. Praise God for who He is. It's verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So, Praising God for who He is. Well, how do we do that? Well, number one, we have to know who He is. When I say that, I mean that in a couple of different ways. Number one, we have to be brought into relationship with the Lord. That is, we have to know Him in an experiential way. But then after that, our knowledge of God and who God is needs to be informed by Scripture. So if we're going to praise God for who He is, we need to know something about who He is. This verse gives us three realities about who the Lord is and three different aspects that should stir our hearts to praise and to praise Him joyfully. Number one, in verse three, it says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. Okay, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's been a while since we've emphasized this, but we did it enough at the beginning that maybe you'll remember. This is the, this is the word for Yahweh. That's the covenant, uh, the God of covenant loyalty. Know ye that 
the Lord, he is God. This is the true God, the one true and living God. And he's the God of of covenant loyalty. He's loyal to his people. He's faithful to his promises. He's made a covenant and he keeps that covenant. And so we we praise him for it. This is the God that we've come to serve. This is the God that we've come to worship. And we've come to worship him for who he is. This loyal God. Secondly, it says in verse 3, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. So not only is he the Lord, the covenant or the God of covenant loyalty, but he's also the creator. He's made us. This is where we begin to think about humility. And this is where we begin to think about coming in the fear of the Lord. We cannot help but be humbled when God is exalted to his right place. We're coming to worship the God who created us from nothing. The one who is high and lifted up and says we are less than the dust of the scales. His magnitude in relation to us is enough for us to rejoice in who he is, to stand in awe in who he is. A couple of passages here that tie this in. Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And we're thinking about reverential worship at this point. One who is high and lifted up. Psalm 149. Verse 2, Psalm 149, verse 2 says, Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. It's, it's, It's not just a reverential fear, that's part of it, but it's a rejoicing in the fact that, again, you have been brought into relationship with your Creator. You were created for His glory. You were created for His purposes. And He's revealed Himself to you. So He's the God of covenant loyalty. He's the Creator. Third, He's the Redeemer. We are the, this is again, verse 3. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. This language of pasture and his people we think about things like psalm 23 the lord is our shepherd and he cares for us we have no unmet needs we think about john chapter 10 and christ who calls himself the good shepherd the one who lays his life down for the sheep the one who knows his sheep and his sheep know him so he's our redeemer what do we do with those realities Well, Psalm 100 says they ought to stir us to praise. They ought to stir us to rejoice. They ought to stir us to exalt and to worship Him in a joyful way. Because we don't stand in the presence of a Creator who will one day judge us and punish us. We stand in the presence of a Creator who created us Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, so that one day 
when redemption is complete, we might stand before him face to face in love. That's a reality. And it ought to stir us to joy. It ought to stir us to praise. So praising God joyfully, praising God for who he is. Third, praising God with thanksgiving. Praising him with thanksgiving. Verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So really the two commands here are to give thanks, to bless his name. Again, we're thinking uh, as we move through here, we've just been brought face to face with the fact that the God that we worship is the God who created us. Okay, we've received blessings from the Creator who says that in comparison we are less than the dust of the scales. What does it say about a people who have nothing to be thankful for? Okay, if we don't know God, if we don't understand who God is, then the thanksgiving part might be a little harder. But if we understand what we've been given in Christ, then thanksgiving, just like this joy-filled praise, thanksgiving ought to be the mark of a Christian. We've received, I mean, just today, hundreds of blessings from God. Hundreds of favors from the Lord, both material and spiritual. Several passages in the New Testament that would reinforce this, not just this this idea that it's good to give thanks, but this idea that thanksgiving, okay, we're talking again now about being disciplined in this. Thanksgiving ought to be a mark, a mark of a Christian. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Okay, we could look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, where he talks about us bringing the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to him through Christ. And we go back to what we said about song and, and, and singing. Why do we sing? Because God commands it, God delights in it, God wants it. Why do we give thanks to the Lord? Well, we can make the argument that it's, it's, it's logical. It makes sense that we would give thanks. But we also go to the place where we say we give thanks to the Lord because that's what He wants us to do. You want to honor the Lord? Learn to say thank you on a regular basis. You want to honor God? Cultivate the discipline of thanksgiving. Why? Because a Christian who is not thankful is a Christian who is ignoring God's work in their life. There's no other way for that to work. God's not asking for flattery. God's asking for what He's due. 
Ephesians tells us that this is, a again, a mark of a Spirit-filled Christian. That's just someone who is walking in step with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And now we're, we're in, in verses 19 and 20, we're thinking about praise and we're thinking about really Psalm 100 kind of things. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So praising God through thanksgiving. It's a, again, just a, a, a Mark of a spirit-filled Christian. Awareness of what God has done. Awareness of what God is doing. So, praise that is joyful. Praise God, praising God for who He is. Praising God with thanksgiving. And then last, praising God for what He's like. Okay, praising God for what He's like back in Psalm 100. Verse 5, this is tied to, you can see uh, the, the verse starts out with the word for, which is because, so it's tied to us being thankful and blessing His name. Because or for, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. Praising God for what He's like. We're thinking about His attributes here. This is closely tied to praising God for who He is because what God's like flows from who God is. So we're kind of parsing a little bit. But number one, we're praising God because, because He's good. He's good. Psalm 107 says it this way. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And then we jump down to verse 8, and this is the refrain that is repeated throughout the psalm. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. God and His goodness. You know, in His goodness, He lets the, the rain fall upon the just and the unjust. Okay, that's God's goodness. In His goodness, He gives us breath and life. In His goodness, well, Psalm 119 says it this way. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. It's the goodness of God that moves him to do good. And so the God that we come to, the God that we're praising, the God that we're rejoicing in, 
He's the God who is good and the God who does good. And this stirs up a thankful spirit. This stirs up praise, rejoicing, and the blessing of His name. So the Lord is good. Secondly, it says His mercy is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. Now, this word mercy here is a word we've highlighted several times as we've we've been in the Psalms. And it's not the same word, or at least it's not the, it's, it's a multifaceted word. Sometimes when we think about mercy, we think about pity or we think about compassion. But the word that the Hebrew word translated mercy is the word hesed, which is a word that is multifaceted and it really umbrellas God's covenant love for his people. Okay? That's the emphasis here of this word. It says his covenant love, his mercy is everlasting. Mercy is everlasting. Another reason for us to rejoice, another reason for us to joyfully praise God. When we think about Hesed, at least when I do, I, I, I typically think about Jeremiah 31 3. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Several things about this passage that illustrates this love. Number one, the text in Psalm 100 tells us that His mercy or His covenant love is everlasting. Jeremiah takes this and thinks about it from... Uh, in the same perspective, I have loved thee past with an everlasting love, an all-encompassing love. But then he says it's with loving kindness that he's been drawn. So one practical thought here that should move us to praise, should move us to rejoice, is that God's people never stumble into his love. We're drawn into it. And he's the one doing the drawing. You know what that means? It means if if, if you found your way into his love, you belong there. And you're going to remain there. And it's because he has loved his people with an everlasting love and he has drawn those people into that love on purpose. And so we have to at least reference... Romans 8, 31 through 35, and say, if that's the case, then what's going to separate you from the love of God? Especially as we bring it into the New Testament and we think about the fact that God did not spare His only Son, but He gave Him for us, that no one can bring any charge to God's elect, and that nothing can separate you from the love of God because God is for you. Well, what do you do with something like that? Well, if we believe it, we rejoice. If we meditate on it, if we allow this truth to take root in our hearts, we find peace and joy. And so He's good. His mercy is everlasting. And then last, it says His truth endureth to all generations. 
His truth endureth to all generations. The word translated truth there can also be translated His faithfulness endures to all generations. So we can think about it really from both aspects. If we're thinking about God, we're thinking about His person, we're thinking about His character. The only reason that God's truth is something that we can rely on is because God is faithful, right? And so a faithful God communicates faithful truth to his people. So we're talking about really uh, things that uh, overlap. His truth, his faithfulness endures to all generations. Now think about this. Back whenever Psalm 100 was written, God had a reputation of being faithful to his people. And so he was faithful to the, to the generation of Psalm 100, and to the generation after, and the generation after, and the generation after. And we could make it a long sermon by trying to go through all those generations, couldn't we? You suppose he's going to be faithful to this generation? Yeah, I think so. Sometimes we have concerns and they're legitimate concerns. There are times that our hearts can be stirred to, to, to uh, anxious uh, thoughts and, and, and worry over what in the world the future holds and, and particularly what in the world is, is, what kind of world will our children and grandchildren inherit? Well, it's the kind of world where God is faithful to his people. That's the kind of world they'll, they'll inherit. Now, it's gonna, it may look far different than the world we're in. But the truth is, circumstances mean almost nothing. Okay? Mean almost nothing when we're thinking about something like this. Will it be, ha- will it be hard and will they have their challenges? Sure. Just like everybody else has. This may be a different flavor, but it's going to be a challenge. There'll be temptations. There'll be pressures. But you know what there'll also be? A faithful God whose faithfulness endures to generations past, generations present, and generations future. So what do we do with a truth like that? Well, we make a joyful noise unto the Lord if we believe it. We serve the Lord with gladness. We come into His presence with singing. And so Psalm 100, it's a small psalm, right? five small verses, but it really does pack a big punch. It's a psalm of praise. So may the Lord bless us to be intentional about cultivating joy in who He is and what He's done and what He's doing. Let's pray. Father, we do take joy in Your work. Lord, we take joy in who You are tonight. We want to take more joy than we do, but... You have made us alive to these realities that as our Creator, uh, You are also our Redeemer. You love us. You've lavished us with Your love. You're faithful to us. Lord, You've given us so many reasons to be thankful. So many reasons to praise. So many reasons to trust. And so, Lord, I pray that we would I pray that we would not be like the nine lepers who never turned around to say thank you. But I pray, Lord, that we would be aware of your blessings. And as we see those, 
that we would say thank you. Father, you're better to us than we could ever deserve, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.